Well, today on Focal Point, we're taking a break from our weekly Q&A format to continue our focus on parenting. And if you have young ones or teenagers at home, or even if you're a grandparent, aunt or uncle, you're going to want to stay tuned to find out what you can do to help raise responsible adults. protect our kids from life's dangerous pitfalls and still prepare and equip them to handle these challenges on their own. Welcome to Focal Point. I'm your host, Dave Drewy, and we've got a special treat for you today. For the second week in a row, Carlin Fabares is joining her husband, Pastor Mike, to give her perspective on raising responsible children. And today we're talking about the trap of being a helicopter parent. You've probably seen parents who hover over their children and guard them against any harm. It's an understandable approach, but is it effective? Well, Pastor Mike wrote a book to address this problematic parenting trend called Raising Men, Not Boys. And later on, I'll let you know how you can get a copy of this book. But now, without any further ado, let's join Executive Director Jay Wharton inside the pastor's study for today's edition of Ask Pastor Mike. Jay? Well, thank you, Dave. I am here with Pastor Mike and again with Carlin, and we are talking about raising men, not boys. Last week, we talked a little bit about a godly family and a, an intact family and how the kids relate to the parents. Pastor Mike, this week, I want to talk a little bit about something you write about in, in terms of work and sweating and a manly work ethic and money. But I want to start maybe at a higher level, a 20,000-foot view, talking maybe about helicopter parents and, mm -hmm. and what that does to kids. Yeah, right. No, for sure. We're, we de definitely have a tendency in our day to bubble wrap our kids. I think part of this is the 24-hour news cycle that we have. You can turn on the news and see every bad thing that's happened, not only in your state, but in the country and around the world. And it's just constantly bombarding us that the world's a dangerous, scary place. It's always been dangerous and scary. But right now it's so paralyzed parents that they they, they won't let the kids go play at the park. They, they, they I know parents, Carlin, you can attest this, they don't want their kids playing in the backyard. Too dangerous in the yard. I mean, this has gotten ridiculous. And I think what we need to do is to recognize your kids are going to get bumped. They're going to get bruised. They're going to go to the ER. They're going to have broken bones. And and boys in particular, if you try to prevent that by bubble wrapping your kids, by being a helicopter parent, uh, you are really going to stifle the God-given, rambunctious, masculine aggressive, risk-taking personality that God has built into most little boys that want to become productive men for the glory of God, they need to have some room to get bumped and bruised. Yeah, and there's lessons to be learned from getting bumped and bruised. How are you going to respond? When you get knocked over, how are you going to stand up? Uh, you learn skills, you learn strength, you learn patience, you learn perseverance that you can't learn any other way. What are some of the worst things that happened to your boys growing up, like broken <laughs> bones or cuts or accidents? What was What's, what's one thing that sticks out. We've had some, yeah. yeah. I can remember one who didn't walk anywhere he went. He just bounced off the walls like Tigger. And one of his favorite things to do was to almost do a little cartwheel over the end of the, the corner of the bed. He would just put his hands down on the bed and kind of do a cartwheel. And at one point, he uh, dislocated his elbow doing that. And it just boop, popped out. And he was a young boy and got to the ER. And off to the ER we and went. And the interesting yep. thing was, I remember he went with his dad and his grandpa happened to be in town. The two of them took him to the ER late one Saturday night after dad got done preaching, of course, is when this happens. And he fell asleep in his grandpa's arms. And when he woke up, his elbow had relaxed. 
and gone back into the proper Popped alignment, right just like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that kid was the one who I could not bubble wrap him. It's just the way his makeup was. And yet, look, something happened and it ended up being all right. And it wasn't worth me freaking out over and saying, don't ever do that little bounce over the bed again. You might dislocate your elbow. Right, or your, your his brother. The day I remember we were out on a date night and he was with grandma and uh, we come home and he's mashed out his front teeth. <laughs> he just... I tripped over something, I don't know, running through the, the front of the house. And these and, were baby teeth, but it was really early. And it smashed his front teeth out. You know, that's one of the things, you know, parents are so afraid of those things happening. They're going to happen. He had a loving grandmother that was there yep. watching him. But, you know, they run from place to place. Yep. They bounce over the edge of the furniture. They're going to dislocate an elbow. They're going to break a few teeth. I mean, these are things that sound horrific to parents listening to me right now that are so indoctrinated by our culture that we have to bubble wrap our kids. But, you know, our kids are fine. And uh, they, they, they've been to the ER and they've, they've, been, they've fallen on skateboards and they've, you know, been hurt during uh, Little League games. And, and it's just going to happen. And what we need to recognize is that the way God teamed us up as male and female in the parenting role, uh, speaking now to the intact home, if you have an intact home, you've got to understand mom is the one that when Junior goes down on his bike and skins his knees, going to you know, kiss the boo-boo and are you okay and come and give you a hug and dad's going to say, hey – you know, I don't see a bone sticking out. Like, get back on that bike and get Go going. Go do it again. And so if mom always wins those arguments, if she has veto power over every risky behavior, you are you are a helicopter bubble-wrapped parent, and you may not even know it. Mom's got to—this is a real challenge for mom. I assume it's a challenge for you. I know you're, you know, you're a bit of a tomboy when you were a kid and probably were better than most, but I'm sure I pressed you. I remember taking the kid out on a motorcycle, stuff like that. Yep. That was really hard for you, I'm sure. Yep. But I knew that we needed to push— past some of the comfort right. levels of your own life. Oh, yes. I vividly remember the day you brought home a skateboard ramp. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, our kids had skateboards, but they had helmets. Yes, because we're 21st century parents. But still, there was a part of me that had to just take a deep breath and for the sake of God's honor and uh, peace in my home, keep my mouth shut and let the chips fall, so to speak. And, uh, and let the you know kids what? fall. Let the and let the fall. kids fall. And, and fall. even if they had, which they didn't break a bone doing the skateboard ramp, but even if they had, I would have been okay and they would have been okay. And those trials, I mean, of course, the Bible tells us all over that trials make us stronger. It right. makes us more dependent on God. And isn't that what you would want for your son? Yeah. And for him to go through trouble and be stronger because of it. And think about that first chapter in this book, Raising Men Not Boys, is about envisioning your kid's future every day. And if you can look at even a silly thing like a skateboard or riding on the back of the motorcycle with dad or whatever it might be, I got two kids now aspiring to be in ministry, teaching God's word. I mean, they're going to be in leading in churches, I trust, where they're going to need to take some risks. They're going to need to go down a ramp that's scary. They're going to have to say, it's going to be all right. We're going to be able to, to power through this. And you don't want a kid that is so afraid of being hurt because it translates into adults that can't make hard decisions. And uh, I think it, you know, it, it serves them well. God's made them to be risk takers. Nor do we want them to crumble at the first sign of trouble right. or criticism from someone or someone who doesn't like one of their decisions that they did the best they could with, but was not well received. We want them to be able to be steeled yeah. under that and go to the Lord with their trouble, just like they did when it was that elbow that was dislocated right. so long ago. A lot of bumps and bruises you get in life. You know, whether your kids grow up to be architects or you know whatever they are, ours look like they're heading into pastoral ministry. I 
I, and certainly I know that, and you know that as a pastor's wife for years, a lot of bumps and bruises and dislocated, uh, you know, elbows and broken out teeth you're going to get. They need to be ready for that. And I'm not saying you put your kids in ridiculously risky situations, but when a boy wants to get out there and be the boy that God created him to be, we need to be careful not to bubble wrap him. Yeah, we're not being irresponsible. We're right. letting no, him get out there and do the boy things. That right. Running with knives and starting right. fires in the backyard. Right. We weren't we, doing that. We don't let him do that. No, not all the time. No, no. <laughs> not, not with our knowledge, at least. <laughs> Since we see a lot of boys with all of that pent-up energy and rambunctiousness, how do things like sports and food and just times where they can have a release work into your family life? How did you work that out? Mm. Well, every day. You had one bouncing off the walls and doing cartwheels. I did. I had a tigger. Definitely a tigger um, at our house. And basically, I mean, when they're little, especially when you have boys, but it's true for girls too, you need them to be able to be outside playing and doing physical activity every single day. And uh, we did that by taking them to the park or the backyard or the cul-de-sac, which we did let them play on the cul-de-sac. I mean, off wait, the wait, sidewalk. The front of your house? I know. Mm, outside yes. the front of our house, we had no fence. Sometimes we actually had a street. It was crazy. <laughs> I know. Wow. We were such risk takers as parents. But anyway, yes, they played on the cul de sac and they played on the street. Right. And I think some of the things in your child's life that they wanted, and we've been talking about that in this discussion, you know, that you need to sometimes wince and, and let them take those risks. But even some risks they don't want to take, I think you need to encourage. I mean, there were things, our kids were inclined to sports, so of course it, we didn't have to force them in that. But there were things we wanted them to do. We wanted them to get on a stage um, and do the Christmas musical at church. We wanted them to pick up an instrument uh, and at least uh, do a year of, of playing an instrument. These are the kinds of things we said, we want you to step out of your comfort zone and do these things. You don't have to become a musician or an actor. Or you don't have to be a, an athlete. But we do want you to try these things, and we're going to insist on them for a while. But I do think the everyday things that you do do include uh, getting them involved with a limit, right? And of course, we're churchmen, right? We we want the church to be a priority. So they're not in everything. With Speaking of kids that were inclined to sports, they would have played every sport all year long, been in two, three different teams. But we wouldn't. We didn't allow that. I mean, we said one sport sport at a time and that's all we can handle and they were gifted enough to be in the travel ball and in these special uh you know leagues and stuff but we said no you can you can play little league you can play this basketball league but uh, church has got to be a priority and i think that's a, something we do deal with in the book you've got to make a decision about uh, not letting whether it's gymnastics or acting or music or or athletics it can't take over your kid's life to the place where they don't have the church as a priority because it's going to be, I don't care if they're converted or not, they're in a home, a Christian home, they're going to make the church a priority. Absolutely, and and you, you have to pave the way with that though because if you're so busy that going to your small group is a major hassle for you or if it's the first thing to be dumped from your schedule, of course your kids are gonna learn that it's not that important to you or maybe to God in your mind. So definitely we didn't let them be too busy with the sports and the fun to um, make God's church a priority or serving in God's church a priority. But yeah, there's a lot of things you can do to help your kids. I mean, even just making sure they have good food. And, and I don't mean we were like way over the top with good food, but you know, reasonable and uh, reasonable bedtime. Things like that will really help your sons to develop and to grow and to be able to do yeah. all that you want them to do in the church, at school, in your home. I appreciate that about Carlin and raising our kids and having a real consistent concern about that they get enough exercise, which is not calisthenics, but, you know, going out and sweating every day. Uh, getting decent meals, you know, did you eat something that grew out of the ground in this meal? 
you know, uh, having a reasonable bedtime. Those were things that we weren't over the top about. You know, I know parents can go crazy in any of these areas, but I do think that helped them develop what we want, and that is a godly work ethic, a way to work in this world that um, their bodies are in sync with their spirit in terms of being a diligent worker. Uh, we're anti-laziness, you know. We want you not just sitting around doing nothing. Of course, there's times to relax and chill out. There's that Sabbath principle, right, of being refreshed, and they need those those off times. But uh, we're, we're always trying to make sure our kids are, uh, you know, eating right, working right, sweating right, diligent in their homework, uh, making sure they get their stuff done. And I think that always pays off in the manly characteristics you want in an adult. Speaking of work and a good work ethic, in the book you you write up a, a sentence that your dad said to you, work is work, when you wanted to get a, get yeah. a job. What did he mean by that? Maybe yeah. you can explain that a little bit. Well, it was good, and I remember him saying, and I was young, and of course, like my most, at least in my generation, my blue-collar neighborhood, when they were able to get a job, they wanted to get it as soon as possible. We wanted money in our wallet. And uh, dad, I, my dad said, listen, once you start working, I remember he said, you're going to keep working. And are you sure you're ready to start this season of your life? And then he said, work is work. And I've always appreciated that statement because I understand so many people that are brought up in this generation think that work is supposed to be some wonderfully ex, you know, uh, experience of joy and fulfillment and self-realization. Work is work, and, and it is God's plan for us. It's a good plan, but because of the curse in Genesis 3, it's going to be by the sweat of our brow. There's going to be thorns and thistles in the dirt, so to speak, whatever your job and occupation is, and it's going to be work. And, and we need to prepare our kids that work is not something you do to have this self-realized, wonderful sense of gratification. Occasionally you'll have those feelings of gratification and hopefully you'll have a lot of them, more than discouragement and frustration, but work is work. And I think that's a good way to prepare our kids. Chores are chores and and your future work is work. You've talked about chores. Maybe Carlin, you could talk about how that worked out in your household in, in terms of chores, maybe getting your boys ready to take on that responsibility of work. Yes, absolutely. I've talked to a lot of moms that they're telling me they're three and four year old, you know, they, they're just too little to do anything. And I, I just find that very um, peculiar to me. We, we began, our sons and our daughter for that matter, all had chores from the very beginning. I mean, even from the time my 18 month old, you know, was introduced to his new brother, his new newborn brother, there was some things for him to do. Bring me that diaper, help me get his bag in the car, his my diaper bag in the car, you put it in for me, son. And there was always a sense of, we're part of a family and we work to care for the family as a whole. And then someday that will extrapolate into we work for God, you know, at the church. And then someday you'll work for, you know, God and your family in your own home. And uh, so work was always valued and always expected from the very beginning. And at the beginning, it's little things, you know, do they clear their plates? And do they help make their bed? Like, you know, throw that blanket over the edge of their crib or whatever. Pick up their toys. Pick up their toys yeah. every day. That was, a, that was obviously uh, one before dad came home, let's pick up your toys. So we always did that. We had chore charts where we took pictures of them and and then we had a little pocket chart and every day they got to move over their chores. And, uh, you know, we didn't just do chores like set the table, but we also did responsibilities like every day we'd read the Bible and that would be in the chore chart and we would have it move over because we didn't just want them to work. We wanted them to be a godly child, a godly man someday. So we, we integrated those things together. But 
every day there's work to be done for the family. And we don't just take off and have that chill time first. And the work isn't always fun. And I think the no. goal is teaching them that delayed gratification. It's better to recognize that the fun isn't always going to be in the doing of the work. But there's a sense of gratification when it's done and your room is picked up and your, you know, your yeah. stuff is in its place. Right. And those are things that God's designed us to crave. We want order. We want things to be not confusing and chaotic. And so we can get a little bit of that gratification, but it's going to come down the road. Work now. Do your chores now. Uh, you know, we're going to go out in the yard. We're going to work. We're going to do something today, and, and it's not going to be easy. And by the sweat of our brow, we're going to do it. But at the end of the day, we've exercised some dominion, as I talk about in the book early on, and we are fulfilling God's role in our lives of being who we are called to be. Uh, we're, we're exercising some leadership over things, and, and that is a difficult and yet gratifying experience, but it doesn't always happen, the gratification part, right away. I actually think that helps with another problem that we have as parents of we have such a self-absorbed, entitled generation that we're raising, and it only seems like it's going to get worse. And uh, one of the things that work does is help get your mind off yourself and you begin doing good things for other people. And, uh, you know, we weren't giving our five-year-old the task of cleaning the entire garage, um, but we were giving them the sense of, you know, we're doing something not just to please ourselves. You talked about the gratification of seeing a job well done and cleaning your room and things in order and, ha you know, that work, that's your job, your chore, your, your work as a child. As you get older and you start to work and you start to earn a paycheck and, and you have that same gratification of feeling, it seems like, for when people start. So how do these boys that are now men, as they get a paycheck, how do they deal with that money? How have you instilled money principles in them? biblical money principles in them as they've been growing up. Well, it needs to start young. I think Carlin and I have started with allowance four or five, five years old. Five yeah. years old, yeah. Just so they get a sense that when they're in the checkout line and they see a pack of gum, they don't just say, Mom, can I have it? Can you buy it for me? But, you know, I got a wallet. They may not have it on them when they're five, but uh, they've got it at home. And, and you know, well, do you have the money to, to buy it? Which really curtails the whole begging and having a throwing a fit because we always said well it's your responsibility it? it's you your can money buy it. yeah no we've got to approve what it is they can't right, buy of you know, a pack of cigarettes at the, at the <laughs> checkout but but if you want to buy that bubble gum yeah uh we'll let you buy that but uh you've got to be able to afford it and if you can't afford it well then we'll have to wait till your allowance and we pay them every yes. friday i think yeah. i don't know over the end of the week at the beginning it was simple and yeah simple, very simple a little. little bit of money they and again we teach them how to manage this money as god's resource so there's always the giving element right you tell them about our jars yeah maybe. we would do uh, we would do uh, basically three jars. One jar was uh, giving to the Lord, and one jar was saving, and then one jar you could spend on yourself. So it was, you know, kind of like your wallet, but your spending jar. And uh, we made it super simple at first. You know, I think we did three dollars, and we taught them to give to give one, to save one, and to spend one. But then, you know, of course, it goes up from there. But right. we made it simple at first, and they were expected to do certain things that would benefit the entire family. Certain little things throughout the week when they were five, like help mom empty the trash cans, you right. know, things like that, that would um, right. earn them their they allowance. They could count on so that speak. consistent allowance and it went up as they got older and they could put that in their God jar. They had to put some money in that, that giving jar. They had to put the money in the savings jar, which I always encouraged them. And the way we did in our home is I said, I'll double everything you put. I'd started an account for them when they were little. I'll double whatever you put in your savings jar. 
and uh, put it in your in your savings. And by doing that from the time they were four or five years old, by the time they were able to drive, you know, the two boys were able to buy an yeah, old, they, you know, old beater car, but they, they bought, bought a car with their yep. own money that they saved up and uh, because they were motivated to be saving. And they're both savers now and they're in college and they're yeah. still saving for their future. Because they right, started this right. practice and we've as a five-year-old. We've always told you never do well with money if you don't give. And so, from the very beginning, they've been givers. And uh, you know, thankfully, at our church, even our youth programs, they'll take a, an offering, and so you know, they can bring their money to the church. And when they were little and there was no offering, we we would take it for them and put it in the offering. But we want to make sure they recognize that everything comes from God, and they need to honor God with their wealth, as the Bible says. And you know, it's so true. And I know it's often taught about, but you you just you can't outgive God. When you are generous to God, God will take care of your needs. You may not get everything you want, but God's going to take care of your finances. And so uh, we've tried to build our kids to all be givers, generous givers. We want them to be givers, not only to God, but when they see a need in someone else's life, birthdays, Christmas, there are things we do where we want them to give generously to other uh, friends of theirs or people they see in the church that are in need or people that don't have a lot. We want them to be givers and generous. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how rest and recreation sort of and fun play played into the work roles and, and how they relate to each other real quick. Well, we had, we had normal kids. They like to have fun. That was their default mode. So work was always the thing we <laughs> did before we had the fun, and then they got to it. But as they got older and, and they loved to develop that work ethic, we tried to, and we had some cases, we had to say, you got to rest and you've got to focus on that. You got to plan that first and you've got to take that time off. And I think because mom and dad are both workers, you know, we we have the same problem of making sure yes, we take we our time off and we take a vacation or we have an afternoon where we're going to re- relax. And Even if it's a few hours, you know, I mean, a, a whole day off is sometimes hard. It is hard uh, to make happen, but having a few hours off here and there to go blow off steam. My one son just likes to shoot baskets and play basketball, and that's what he does in his, you know, blow off time. And so that's what he would do or play golf or sometimes read a book or whatever. But, yeah, we would we would have rest. But it isn't all about rest, which is, I think, the default move for most families. It's like, well, let's have fun all day long. Ours and they was took challenging and uh, reasonable. courses in school, Absolutely. and they had a lot of homework. And I remember they could have, you know, three hours of homework. And Carlin was always good to say, "Listen, you 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 work for fifty minutes, you take a ten minute break, right. and you do something. You go out in the backyard and you chip golf balls or you shoot baskets, and then you come back in. And just even the working in of a break in their homework when they were young for ten minutes." Every every hour was a way for us to teach them the cycle of work and rest. So important. Thank you so much. It's all the time we have today to talk a little bit about raising men, not boys. And we appreciate your time, Pastor Mike and Carlin. Thank you so much. And we look forward to next week when we finish up our last Ask Pastor Mike on this. And if you want to get Raising Men, Not Boys, you can go right online at focalpointministries.org where Dave will tell you how to do the rest. You're listening to Focal Point, and the name of Pastor Mike's book is Raising Men, Not Boys, Shepherding Your Sons to Be Men of God. Let's face it, parenting kids in today's culture is tough. Moms and dads need solid biblical guidance to help them navigate these crazy times and raise a generation of men on godly principles. And maybe you know parents who could use a little help dealing with their boys. If so, Pastor Mike's book is available for purchase when you go to focalpointradio.org and search for Raising Men, Not Boys. 
But remember, it's not the purchase of resources that makes this program possible. We rely on the generous donations from people just like you to allow us to continue bringing Pastor Mike's no-nonsense, straightforward teaching to the radio and online, and to combat worldly influences with biblical truth. So when you purchase the book, please consider adding a financial gift to Focal Point to help keep this program on the air in your community and across the country. You can give now when you call 888-320-5885 or give online at focalpointradio.org. Well, throughout our current teaching series, Pastor Mike has been talking about parenting and the importance of creating strong, God-honoring marriages as the foundation for our families. That's why he selected a book to go along with this series titled Preparing for Marriage God's Way, a step-by-step guide for marriage success before and after the wedding by Wayne Mack. You can request your copy when you donate any amount to Focal Point this month. Simply call 888-320-5885 or give online at focalpointradio.org. And thanks for supporting Focal Point. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy. So glad to have you with us. Be sure to come back next time as we continue our series on Christian parenting and explore God's Word together here on Focal Point. This program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.